0: Hello, and welcome to episode 182 of NCP. My name is David. We're me the NCP crew. Richard. Hello. Look.
1: Yeah, I'm here. Body, mind, and I guess spirit as well. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you have no
0: spirit. This is true. Well, I'd say no soul. Not really. No, no soul. He's got. <laughs> a, he's got gumption. Certainly, Certainly in distance. mind. <laughs> the body hey. might be somewhere else, but. I've been looking for it for five weeks, so... Luckily the body is here. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: Hey, Crystal. Enough of your guff. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Enough of your (laughs) guff. Sorry about the guff. (laughs) It's all
1: about the guff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Enough the (laughs) buff. Oh, no. Uh, What? That was a slug he got around right when he did the Indiana Jones film. People were sick of seeing him. I actually quite like, I actually quite like of the Buff, Anyway, moving on. Right. Uh, <laughs> Not in that way. <laughs> and
3: suddenly we've lost a thousand listeners.
0: <laughs> I think he cops a lot of flack
1: justifiably, so? but I also think he's very talented. The rest of the, 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 the listeners out there wonder if this entire episode has in fact been plagiarised from Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Alec Baldwin? Yeah, that's who he plagiarised. He did that. He plagiarised some comic writer guy. He also plagiarised Alec Baldwin.
3: Oh. Yeah. With what you plagiarized all kinds of people. An um, apology,
1: yeah, an apology, and some comments to uh, Rich Johnson on Bleeding Corp, I think. Rich Johnson just went, "Oh yeah, so that, you're telling me that? Cool." So I wonder where that's come from. And he's revealed. Rich
0: Johnson never a, a, needs an apology. He's, he's, no, he all, was, all he, was, was, he scorn. was engaged. He was engaged. I wouldn't care
1: he, if he went up and slapped him in the face. I still wouldn't apologise. In an email like exchange or a phone call. Oh, right. So yeah, they were actually ta- they were actually in contact with one another.
0: Right. Okay. Cool. Okay, cool. Hmm, anyway, moving uh, on. <laughs> I don't know if this suddenly <laughs> devolved into a Shia LaBeouf. Because <laughs> I hate Shia LaBeouf, you. that's why. Oh, do
2: oh,
1: Okay, right, okay. Ooh. Uh, no, there's not ever... a lot
2: about him for someone that you hate. <laughs> that's
1: the thing, always know your enemy. <laughs> that's
2: it? No, I'm totally with you there.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, like as you know, I was during that sad puppies, rabid puppy's stuff. I was mm-hmm. following all of those bastards. Mm-hmm. Because you need to know what they're talking about. That's right. <laughs> so I need to know firsthand what was going on. And, you know, so now I have the proof that they're all scum. For this, for this episode, we've got two dust jackets. Yay. yay! Yay! I second that, yay. As is customary, you know. As, as is our want. Uh, for our first dust jacket, it will, of course, be uh, Richo and uh, one of the sci fi lists books. Uh, and for this one, it'll be combined with me. For the time machine, Yay. the brilliance is the time machine by H.G. Wells. One of the greatest sci-fi writers ever. For the second dust jacket, we have Luke and Crystal doing Revelation Space by Alistair Reynolds, as uh, as that particular author was suggested to us by uh, one of our listeners. So uh, mm-hmm. Luke has <laughs> kindly agreed to uh, to do one of them. <laughs> You're not going to trash it really <laughs> horribly, eh?
1: Oh, wait for my review. Oh,
2: well, wait for your review. Oh, right. That's fine. I've, 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 spoiler alert, but I've got a fair idea of what Luke might think about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really a spoiler alert. I think early. you and I might agree on a, on a few things. I think we agree on some,
0: but. Anybody who's listened to multiple episodes will know what Luke's I think we'll agree be. on a,
2: at least the last 200 pages.
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on quick.
2: Uh, we also have a
0: top five. and For this episode, we're doing our top five alternates. Now, just to clarify that, it's alternate versions of characters. Doesn't necessarily have to be evil ones, just alternate versions of them. Uh, However,
3: if they do sport a goatee, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> we know they're evil.
0: <laughs> so, uh, top five of those ones, um, and I'm going to allow uh, runners-up on this one as well because I had some. So that's what I'm going to allow. And uh, soon, finish up with COVID six. So let's. That started with uh, dust jacket number one, the time machine.
3: All right. I suppose you want me to start then. Well, it would probably be good to start, yes. <laughs> All right. right, let's want to go
0: back to the Shia LaBeouf conversation.
3: No, 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 we'll go back in time and correct that.
0: He's quite good mm. that, in
1: that Sia video. Shia LaBeouf first wrote The Time Machine.
3: Back. <laughs> 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 and even if he didn't, he'll claim that he did. <laughs> the Time Machine is one of H.G. Wells' classic science fiction novels written in 1895, um, often ranked up there with equal best... Of his works along with uh, War of the Worlds. Um, And sometimes the shape of things to come, but that's not really good. Invisible Man? Yeah, Invisible Man's good, but I don't think it's as good as uh, War of the Worlds or Time Machine.
0: Oh, we did there.
3: Yeah, right. Um, Just to let everybody know, it uh, actually ranks at number 18. Is that all? On Sci-Fi Lists' top 100 books. Shame on you, Sci-Fi Lists. Shame on you. You'll be disappointed to know too that the list has actually changed slightly, and uh, Stranger in a Strange Land has now moved up to number five. It's moved up. <laughs> yeah, it's moved to number five. Uh, wait, has got a movie deal? Is it movie offset, in the? Works? Is I that know. I- but it's offset nineteen eighty four and Fahrenheit four fifty one, so that'll make you feel good. But let's not That's a debate disgrace. Let's not debate the relative merits of that list just yet. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, first of all, something we should say about the time machine is that it was actually, the term time machine was coined by Wells for this book, and has now, of course, come to be referred to basically any machine used to travel through time, so HG Wells, you rock.
0: <laughs> Which kind of makes sense, the yes. time machine, it works.
3: Yeah, 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 <laughs> he did try to keep uh, was extremely simple yeah. in his titles, you know, yeah. the Invisible Man is about an invisible man, and... Yeah. War of the Worlds is about a war between two worlds, so it's <laughs> pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, so for anybody that doesn't actually know the story to this, then what are you doing? Because it's one of the most famous science fiction <laughs> stories ever. But um, even if they haven't read the book, they'd know, they'll know the story just from osmosis
0: of every other time machine, every other time travel story. Yeah. Ever written. Yeah.
3: And of course, it's been adapted into two movies, one of which is awesome. One. Not so good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> not so good. There's a not lot so of running good. in that movie.
3: Although both both starred Australians. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's just one of them is good and stars an Australian, and one isn't good. Well, least, I said, mean, but it's not Guy Pearce's fault that the movie's crap. No, honestly. that is true. But the
0: movie is mm. awful. Yes, <laughs> not so good is 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 being too generous. Mm. Mm.
3: So the novel tells the story of an unnamed uh, inventor in Victorian England who is identified purely as the time traveller by the narrator of the story. Uh, The narrator being a man that has been invited uh, to have dinner uh, at the time traveller's house uh, with a group of other men um, so that the time traveller can, well, initially espouse his...
1: uh Does one of these people turn out to be Jack the Ripper? No, No, but that is
3: awesome. (laughs) Unfortunately not, but we'll get to that later on. One of them Um, is a
1: doctor. (laughs)
0: One of them is a doctor, that's true. It's never um, mentioned his name,
3: though. Yeah. Uh, initially, he's invited there so that the time traveler can espouse his theories about time travel um and it's
0: just that general thing that seems to occur in all of these victorian era books where people just get together for
2: dinner parties and yeah. to have conversations and stuff and, and
3: to discuss like deep philosophical issues yeah. and things like well, that It to
2: happen they, all the time they, they weren't hanging out for the next x-files episode or anything <laughs>
3: they, <had laughs> they, they weren't were watching their reality tv that's no. the real problem and it's
0: just this sort of thing. That never happens anymore yeah. if you know it's just nobody just gets yeah. together and just has a conversation
3: <laughs> um
1: <laughs> thank you for picking that, uh, that up uh, that, uh, that's uh, exactly for what we're doing right of, for <laughs> those of you who don't can't actually see you know with the benefit of radio can't see my finger I'm just pointing a circle <laughs> at the group I'm glad Sam would pick that up. <laughs> where's
2: my dinner though
3: there's no dinner <laughs> yeah that's a good point anyway back to the time machine <laughs> um so yes, in the in the initial visit to the time traveler's house, he actually discusses his theory that um, that there are actually four dimensions rather than three, and that the fourth dimension is time travel um, and that he has invented a teeny tiny little time machine <laughs> that he zaps off into the future. Um, naturally, the people there don't necessarily believe him, but he invites them to come back a week later, uh, in which our, our narrator does. And the time traveler shows up again, but this time he's a quite quite worse for wear um, he's clearly been through some kind of uh harrowing experience and um in this second meeting, he's gathered um a news reporter and a and a publisher an editor together because he wants to tell the story of what he tells them is his journey uh through time. The journey that he that he imparts to them actually takes him to the year eight hundred and two thousand. 701 yeah so he travels quite quite a distance into the future <laughs> where uh he discovers um that humanity has basically split up into two strands i suppose the first is the eloi who are described as small elegant and childlike um they live in these small communal uh environments in a world that is you know buildings that are large and futuristic and but also fallen into decay and what he discovers is that the Eloy really they do no work they do nothing except run around and play all day and swim and bathe and and so on um and his initial theory is that basically they've They've created a perfect society where there is no want or need, or where you know diseases have been cured, and there's no social problems or anything like that. Um, at the same time, the society has fallen stagnant. Uh, the second group, um, human group, uh, identified as Morlocks.
2: Not the Morlocks.
3: That's right, the Morlocks. <laughs> Morlocks are awesome. <laughs> um, Morlocks are basically ape-like creatures that live underground um who you know he discovers are the ones that basically do all the work they provide the Eloy with their clothing with um food etc but in return the working class Morlocks eat the Eloy as food um and um yeah he espouses the theory that somewhere along the lines um obviously the two groups have, have split up and the working class have become content to be the working class and live underground and um and you know the i guess the elite class have become content to just frolic in the in you know everyday and not actually do anything at all um yeah but it, somewhere, it also
0: it also adds the, the the philosophical notion that the working class are now the master class
3: exactly yeah and um it's come full circle yeah and it then also also determines that somewhere along the lines obviously the food supply for Uh, The Morlocks ran out, Mm. and so they've then evolved into, I guess, cannibalism. Mm. Um, Unfortunately for uh, the time traveller, the Morlocks also basically steal his time machine, (laughs) and they take it inside this kind of awesome sphinx-like structure (laughs) that uh, basically he he lands near when he first arrives. Mm. Um, To be fair, they do repair it. They do actually, they do <laughs> repair it because, and they repair it because that's just their nature. That's yeah, just, they get a machine, they take it Great. apart, they put it back together. and So they make repairs for him, um, which is sort of fantastic. Um, but um, obviously, so the time traveller is wanting, first of all, to explore this world and try and understand it. And um, there is a point where he goes to a museum, but the books there have basically crumbled to dust and, um so he's left to try and piece the world together uh, himself but then he's also left with this dilemma that he has to get his time machine back or else he's going to be stuck in the future forever um anyway he saves one of the Eloy uh from drowning um she's basically bathing one day in in a river and Obviously, the the uh, the rapids take her, and and under the other, he always seemed to care. So he rescues her, and she becomes attached to him. Her name is Wina. Um She becomes kind of attached to him, and al- almost almost a love interest. But he kind of uh, sees the, her more as a. I,
0: I think it's clearly not a love interest. Is, I think it's more it's it's a, it's a childlike fascination with him, and and appreciation to the fact that he actually saved her life. And,
3: and he, but he in return kind of appreciates.
1: I guess companionship. Yeah, he's
0: just he's just glad to have some, some companionship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. at one point he's carrying around on her shoulder on his shoulders and stuff. And yeah, yeah, no.
1: So just on that, a lot of people do read a love relationship into.
0: There's love, but there's not uh, a
1: sexual. Love. No, a lot of people uh, do read a sexual. Is that because yeah. of the depiction of yeah. the Eloy in the movie in both movies in which they <laughs> oh, are they aren't so childlike they yeah. are. Um, older. No, um, in the book, also, in the book, they're four foot tall. Yeah, they're really slender, and they're clearly they're, children. You know, whereas in the sixty two, the George Powell version, she's you know, yeah, um, gorgeous blonde and ten, five. Yeah, um, this is, uh, um, a fucking model. Um, I think
3: you could read a sexual relationship. In there is a couple of scenes where they are sort of sleeping together, as in just sleeping together. Mm. Which in 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 in. in yeah, you given know, given the nature of uh, Victorian era writing, oh. you could interpret as such if you so chose, you know, to do so. Hmm. Um, I certainly didn't read it as such because the the time traveller maintains a certain level of, um, I, I guess, scientific distance from this. It's like he's, yeah. he's observing everything and he's noting everything and he's describing everything to to his dinner guests, but he's doing it in a very sort of um, scientific fashion and breaking it down and 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 when he gets really emotional it's more um his disdain over what has happened to humanity yeah um but also his distress over the loss of the time machine yeah he Um, does
0: he gets he's more distressed about the about what happened to humanity in his time machine because it means he can't get back than he is about the eventual fate of lena herself yeah so yeah i i don't think there was any sexual stuff
3: yeah no Fair fair enough Fair enough,
0: but I, but I do agree with what you're you say yeah. saying. You could read that.
3: You, you could read it that way. I mean, there was often a lot of skirting around yeah. the issue and being. He, he does mention about that they playfully
0: have sex, just without seem, seemingly to. There's no sort of emotional attachment. He actually does mention that they have sex, yeah. sex in front of him, and he's like, "They just they're like, yeah, whatever." Yeah, it's all very playful.
3: Yeah. Um. So yeah. So then, um, the story then becomes his attempts to get into uh, the Morlock world and save his time machine hmm. unlike the movies there is also a bit where he actually zooms well well into the future like millions and millions of years to to the actual dying earth
0: that does happen in the 50s version doesn't he? he doesn't treat travels through the future very briefly does he hmm. uh,
3: not not in not not in the way that this does it where oh. there's giant crab monsters. yeah well zoomed. he doesn't land on the beach no no like that i recall
0: um i
2: do right. kind of remember a scene with like a hot. Sort of yeah yeah,
0: no, yeah there is a scene right. where yeah no he definitely does go to the future yeah he just but, there's but, no crabs yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah it's a very it's a very brief scene that yeah, doesn't yeah. quite here it uh it encapsulates a lot more i think than than it does in the film
0: yeah um, it's actually he actually put that hg wells put that scene in to um show the theory of the time that the that the earth would eventually become cold yeah yeah um, instead of the actual the, what we know now yeah. that the, the sun would eventually supernova and kill us
3: all yeah the, the the story ends with um the with the time traveler actually um well the narrator the narrator leaves and sort of dwells a little bit on the story and he comes back the next day just to check on the time traveler mm. and the time traveler the time traveler then says look i'm, I'm grabbing a camera and mm. some supplies and everything i'm going to go back into the future and bring back the evidence of what I've seen more than the flowers yeah because that's all he has at this point yeah, this, yeah at this point he has flowers that Weiner has put in his pocket and that's yeah. it and they can't be identified um, by that, the people there but that that's, that doesn't prove anything yeah yeah um, and um, yeah so then the time traveller leaves and then there's um, um, there's an epilogue in which um, the narrator then narrates the fact that it's you know, it's been three years and yeah, the returned. time traveller hasn't returned and he doesn't know whether the time traveller is ever going to return, or what's really happened to him, so the book kind of leaves it a little bit out in the open as to whether you accept that he's travelled through time or not. Hmm. Um, and that was one of the things I uh, I really loved about this about the book. Um, it's it's one that i I had read when I was probably about twelve or thirteen originally, um, and you know being a massive fan of the the movie as well. The movie used to be on. all the time. Every summer, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's a lot more, I think, in the book of, um, I guess, his socialist views. Yeah. Um, and his views on, on, you know, uh, life and humanity and and abundance is, is the word that often gets used in, uh, uh, in critiquing the book. Yeah, he's kind of disdain for the life of abundance and, uh, what it means for humanity to reach that point. Um... Obviously, also, there's quite a strong, um, I guess, class structure message in this as well, Um, obviously, between the working class and the elite, and, and the sheer disdain he seems to have for really, for the elite. Mm. And you see that in other books of his as well. Um, the Shape of Things to Come, I think, is a, is a classic example of that. So,
1: but but um, just to interrupt, one of the interesting things about this is he kind of subverts it in which the people who you think are, are the elite are actually the put-upon. Yeah. yeah, uh, The Morlocks, yeah. Are, even though they're, they're the working class, they're in charge of the planet and they're actually yep. ruling the yeah. Eloi. Mm.
3: But there's not they're not really... At the same time, though, they're still... They're just fulfilling their ro- role they like mm. like when as as they said when the time machine is brought in they still repair it because they're just, that's that's they just that's just what they do you yeah. know
1: so but they like, do live really, in fear of the underclass as well to a certain extent yeah.
3: they they do oh no doubt about that no doubt about that they they're terrified of the Morlocks, but the Morlocks aren't really ruling per se they're just no. using them as a food supply yeah. Yeah. so there's really nobody ruling anybody in this world it's like the world has just fallen into a state of i guess social decay and um um, social evolution has clearly come to an end at this point as well, um, which I find absolutely fascinating.
0: No, I, I agree. I agree with everything you um, said. I'm glad that uh, when you discussed the plot, that's all you did. We're sorry, we didn't. I mean, you didn't mention um, the 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 adventures that he has while he's there, other than the the finding of the uh, museum, which I found yeah. fascinating because um, is H. C. Wells gets around a, a quite obvious problem of. Well, if he's found a museum that exists in this time, then it surely should have stuff that exists between his time and the time that he's in yeah. now. But he doesn't mention any of that. Yeah, of 800,000
3: years yeah, in between.
0: There's no mention of ray guns and you know, fantastical machines and stuff. He, go, he does go into a certain section where he has a whole bunch of uh, small machinery that he doesn't quite understand what it is. But he doesn't go into too much detail because, it, let's face it, it would be a trap. Um, he just—he basically deals with what he—what he has. Yeah. Well, the great—the great, the great thing with the
3: with. museum is—is is that there's really nothing there of value to him other than some weapons and things that he yeah. can use. Well, he does find the camphor,
0: um, um, which yeah. then eventually leads to the disaster that happens later. Yeah.
3: On. Yeah. Um, but 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 basically, this society isn't preserving knowledge in any way. Exactly. Yeah. And so, therefore, what he finds is basically ruins and some stuff that he can use as weapons, and that's it.
0: That's about as far as, far as it goes, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it actually, the museum has, has become one of the entries to the Morlock Underground Lair, if you go in yeah. far enough. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, like I said, I, I agree with everything you said. This is, um, it's, it's very clearly uh, he's... Well, he even mentions it himself. Is the, the edition that I've got is the Penguin edition. It actually has a a Wells preface from the 1931 edition. Oh, nice. Um, which I, I, I do find fascinating, because even back in 1931... It was a habit for the author to say, "Oh, well, you know." Looking back now, it was, you know, it was my first book, and looking back, I can see things that mm-hmm. I made a mistake on, and mm-hmm. you know, that sort of self. that all every author today does. Oh, yeah. it's my first book. It's like, come on, shut up. It's genius. Um, so, it's, 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 I, mean, I, do, I do actually think this book is genius, and uh, I, I, I love the fact that even though it's it's clearly talking about the the social structure of the day. So, the working class versus the elite, mm. it is still highly relevant today. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's got so many messages in it that uh, are so relevant that, I, and, and in my mind, a far more enjoyable way than, say, 1984, which we've mentioned before is, is still highly relevant now. Mm. Um, but it's just but it's told in such a way that it's it's that, that boy's own adventure type stuff.
3: Yeah. that's. that's um, it's, it's, but it's with that social more,
0: message behind yeah, it.
3: Yeah, it's much more metaphor too. Like, yeah. Like you can see more, I, I think, more direct parallels between the world of today and 1984. Yeah. Whereas this, um, for me especially, the the Eloys just not wanting to know anything, their their lack of interest in anything, yep. their lack of desire to to... Um, to learn anything new, mm-hmm. um, I, I see that that as an aspect of humanity that is obviously as prevalent today as it was when the time machine was written.
0: Yeah, um, I think the time traveller himself is a fascinating character. Uh, mm. My copy of the story is ninety pages long, and in that time, you learn everything you need to know about this guy. Mm. I mean, as we mentioned, mm. he's he's the only time he really gets upset is when he finds out that the time machine's gone and he's trapped where he is. Yeah, um, and uh, the, the 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 fate of humanity is like he gets to the museum and he's mm. he's like he's horrified yeah. at the, you know well he 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 was expecting
3: but, he was expecting to arrive in the future and find this incredibly yeah, told, advanced yeah. society that had yeah. just yeah. had progressed you know with science and technology and everything and medicine just advancing yeah and but instead he finds. Yeah, yes. so he's, 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 so and they're
0: the only real times that he gets really uh, really upset. I mean, and like I said, I mean, it's the eventual—well, uh, no, it's not spoilers, the eventual fate of Wiener. I mean, obviously, she doesn't go back with him. Mm. Um, he, he's kind—he's kind of—it's kind of, not. I wouldn't say uncaring, but it's kind of like you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and I, yeah. I do—I find it fascinating that the very because this is told in flashbacks, so he's basically telling the story of what happened to him. So the very first words that he says when he first arrives, when he appears in the doorway, looking dishevelled yes. and stuff, is. Say me some of that mutton. I really want some meat. Yep. And then, of course, you get the story: yeah. <laughs> the, the, the warlocks are cannibals, yeah, yeah and stuff like that. And I just and I find it. I, yeah. I just found it a really sort of fascinating just, just position of. Of uh, I mean, yes, you could ter- you could interpret it as in, well, he's had to eat fruit the entire time he's there, mm. um, <laughs> but which you know is it, tasty as it is. It's still just fruit, mm. but also the 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 man's man's need to eat. Not only includes food, but also means uh, killing, killing, and yeah. but also so that needs to eat the souls of others. Yeah, as I don't know, sort of yeah. <laughs> expand mm-hmm. that a little bit. All those
2: nourishing souls, yeah, man, <laughs> man's
0: you know, except for Luke, who has no soul. But <laughs> uh, right. but it's just there's man's need, man's need to kill and subjugate mm-hmm. and control. Yeah, mm-hmm. and not even the time traveler is, is immune to that because he's not the nicest guy in the world.
3: No, no. Um,
0: but yeah, so was, yeah, but I mean, I guess I, I summed it up uh, much earlier when I just said I just think this book is genius. Mm.
3: There's um, there's actually um, a deleted scene mm. as well. Well,
0: there's multiple deleted scenes actually.
3: Yeah, but the the, the main one that I know about is um, when, when he actually makes the trip into the future. Mm. So he's he he gets to his time machine. The Morlocks are, are all around, him, and I love that scene. Mm. It's it's actually his encounters in the darkness. Where all he's got is matches. Yeah, uh, like it's 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 like horror writing one oh one. But those scenes are awesome. Like they are so creepy. <laughs> um, but when he actually he escapes into the future, um, there was a scene originally where he arrives in the distance of Earth, but not as distant as he eventually goes, and he encounters like these like kangaroos, effectively yeah. kangaroo-like things, and he kills one. Yeah, and then he, then he kind of. Um, after killing it, he realizes. Oh, hang on! This is actually probably a human. This is probably a descendant of of the the Eloy and the Morlocks. And um, yeah, and look, it's 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 kind of interesting, but not.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they deleted it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not really necessary
3: to the story. It, do, it doesn't really add anything that isn't already there. And um, and I, I guess the the futility of it of of the plight of humanity is still realized when he goes into the far far future and you know and and we see basically the dying earth um where there's really nothing left but crab monsters and this giant butterfly creature thing um
0: he goes even further and even there they're not there
3: well i always wondered Mm. i always wondered about that though was whether there there was some sort of statement there that the butterfly creature is a descendant of say the eloi strand of humanity
0: yeah
3: and the crab creatures are the descendants of the morlock strand it's never really sort of stated it's or not possible. either way but i sort of thought you know one one's just flying free and the other one is trying to kill him yeah. so <laughs> so i was wondering whether that there was there was some sort of hint that that might yeah, be the I didn't case think but, that, but probably that's nothing to yeah. there but um, um yeah look first of all for a first novel yeah it needs to be said this is pretty damn impressive um i i wouldn't rank get as highly as, say, War of the Worlds. I mean, clearly he's developing as a writer, and when you get to War of the Worlds, I think the writing has become um, clearer, and certainly his sense of um, uh, of tension and despair and, and the emotional side of the writing, I think, is, has developed by that point. That. Um, but, yeah, for for a first novel, this is pretty pretty impressive, it yep. needs to be said. Tasty well,
0: H- uh, Wells is one of my favourite sci-fi or authors of all time, and yeah. uh, Time Machine is... Mm. Is one of his best. Yeah. So I, I do. I and actually prefer where of the worlds. But yeah, but, but still, it's
3: it, it, it's amazing how much of this novel has now become part of you know popular culture yeah. le- lexicon and um, and how often this has been referenced. I mean, we've seen, like we said, two movies plus things like Time After Time, where H. G. Wells actually is the time traveler and, and goes after Jack the Ripper and goes after Jack the Ripper and um, like the, this really sets this really set the model for time travel stories. Mm um and yeah and in in that regard it has few equals i think i agree
0: i give it five out of five
3: you give it five out of five Mm -hmm. look i'll give it four and a half out of five um because i i I gave war of the worlds five out of five and i I give war of the worlds
0: five out of five as
3: well yeah but look this is brilliant and i'd strongly recommend to anybody uh you know that wants to see you know that loves time travel stories and more importantly wants to see the quintessential this, this is how it's time done this, this is where it began this is how it's done check it out
0: cool that was dust jacket number one uh, and yes in the immortal words of uh, Molly Meldrum, check it out do yourself a favour do yourself a uh, favour uh, let's, let's move on to dust jacket two it's Luke and Crystal for Revelation
1: Space hmm. um, so I'm going to put up a disclaimer and say that this one I didn't like with Let the Right One In. Um, I didn't finish the book, and I will explain why. Okay. As in, it's not just a, oh my goodness, right out of time. It's a, no, there is a reason for it. Um, and have, you any, have you read any other Alistair Reynolds? Yeah, or? I have. Okay, cool. Um, i read one of his later ones, Terminal World, which is one of his standalone novels. Um, and I did look at uh, the, our wiki entry um, to, get, uh, to see what the end was. And I read the wiki entry well before I stopped reading. I just want to point that out now. It wasn't. Oh, I'm going to cover my ba- my backside here and you know read the wiki entry just to sort of cheat this. I read the wiki entry before I decided to stop reading the book. Okay, well, it's I- it's all good. I about 100, 200 pages before because I wanted to see. Where it was going. Well, that's that's just about 200 pages before. Okay, right. Um, Because I've already heard
0: uh, Crystal's things. No, sorry,
1: 200 pages before I stopped reading. Okay. Uh, Not not before the end of the book. Right. Um, So a lot of what Crystal said earlier about, you know, the last 200, agreeing the last 200 pages, I won't be able to. Right. And I have a feeling I know what she's going to say given some of the reviews that I have actually read about the end of the book. Right. Um, But I wanted to clarify that right off the bat now. And I also wanted to pick up on one of the earlier points that you made in the time machine in which. You know, this is, um, for a 90-page story, you learn everything you need to know about the character in that 90 pages. And I wanted to carry that and say, well, this is the opposite in Revelation space, at least from my perspective. Um, It's Alistair Reynolds' debut novel. Is it? Um, Yes, it's his first novel, and it's, um, you know, the first part of his, you know, space opera. He does a lot of standalone novels, but he also occasionally returns to the universe, I believe, if not the characters. Yeah. Um, and this tells the story of Dan Sylvester, um, uh, a space archaeologist, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, trying to... It's um, set in the in the very distant future. It was set two two, 300 years from where we are now. Um, no, 400 years, I'm sorry, I should say. Um, and he is trying to um, learn the untold story of a, of a race of beings called the Amaritines. Mm-hmm. Um, who he believes were um, actually capable, who are you know sort of winged, sort of angelic type creatures who are actually capable of space flight. Um, however, um, an event um, wiped them out well before they could achieve. Um, uh, they w- well before they could actually make their first forays into space, um, because he believes that a similar fate is waiting the rest of. Um, a similar fate is waiting the rest of the galaxy, and if he doesn't learn what their story is, um, he is you know the. The world will, side the galaxy will, um, will crumble. Um, however, before he can make a strong headway into the Amarrintines, he is in fact arrested <laughs> um, for political reasons um, to do with the planet that he's, to do with the planet and the section of the galaxy that he is in, um, who don't want this story, um, to be told. I think, I, I read that more as you know, almost a, a, a cultural revolution in China in the sixties. Gotcha. Um,
2: yeah, it was basically a coup.
1: Yeah, a coup. But I instead of it being, say, a South American um, style militia overthriver, that more as a, a political, cultural. Uh, our, mm-hmm. our guys are the guys now in charge. Um, but that, like I said, that's a reading on my part. You know, others will have, might have a different reading. Um, through that, he makes, even though he's imprisoned, he makes various deals to keep his research going in sporadic, um, in sporadic ways. This is, of course, offset by um, the story of Kuri, who is effectively um, assigned by um, a secret uh, person called Mademoiselle to find Sylvester by any means necessary and kill him before he can reveal, find out, and reveal the story of the Amarantines. There is a third character called Volyova who's also attempting to find Sylvester um, to deal with some of the issues that she's got going.
2: Volyova's first name is Eileia, mm. so I keep I picturing her as and in, in Star Trek. Mm. <laughs>
1: that's pretty much the plot in terms, the plot as far as I was able to read.
2: Yeah, that that's pretty much the plot in a nutshell, but it, it sort of starts off, um, like it'll jump from Sylvester's story to Volgova, back to Kuri, um, there's an interesting part where Sylvester's story jumps forward about ten, ten years, years, where the others sort of stay the same. But it mm. makes sense because of the relativistic terms of terms space travel mm. um, cool. and, and their in reefer space. Mm. There's lots of interesting concepts in in mm. the book. Mm.
1: There are a lot, there are a lot of interesting concepts, um, and yeah, the, it it took a while to get the head around the um, around the the time jumping for the for the reason that yeah. you stated because it. Um, you know, it is dealing with the relativistic effects of space travel, hmm. and it, because even in, the, in this Star Trek, Star Wars um, world in which space travel is sort of instantaneous and you can get from one end of the galaxy to the other, um, yeah. and there's no time differential, time differentials to consider. Can
0: I nerd out, to you, nerd out right there? Go for it. <laughs> Star Wars, yes, you can jump from one yeah. section of space to another, but Star Trek... I mean, the Voyager t- is going to take about ninety years to get from one. Yeah, but part they still the have faster together. than
2: light travel, and there's no time differential. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, I just want to point that out. And that's because they're also in a, an unqu- unch- to inter- go with Voyager, in an uncharted part of um, space. Yeah, but also because and, the engines—that's just how fast and that's, they go. That, that's how fast the engines go. So it's still, you know, moving in a fairly linear fashion. I'm talking, yeah. you know, in terms of Star Trek, where you know Picard or Kirk would take the Enterprise from one part of. The Alpha Quadrant into another part of the Alpha Quadrant, and there's not really a lot of different. You know, it, it's still fairly linear. Time hasn't really changed. Right. Um, whereas you know, this is sort of a nitpicking thing. Whereas here,
0: it's this is nitpicking. Would it really change?
2: Yes. A different part of the Alpha Quadrant. Yes, because um, they're travelling faster than light, so the shipboard time would be different to the planet-bound time.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. For, Forever War style. Yeah, yeah. that's and that's, that's what it. that that was the thing that I went okay. This is so we're in you know proper Forever War territory here in terms of that. Cool. Um and I can't, I, the character why I was interested in was actually Curie, because I felt that there was something intrinsic going on. There was there's an inner conflict: the the need to obey the Mademoiselle versus what she actually kind of, what the slow realization that what the Mademoiselle might want might actually not be what.
2: So the Mademoiselle is holding her husband hostage mm. too at mm. this point.
1: And like I said, if it, if it was told from Curie's perspective, mm. um, I probably would have stuck with the novel. Mm. The, for, um, for at the majority, because I did kind of... Yeah. I was kind of interested in her. Um, my problem with Sylvester is that he kind of... He gets involved... Things happen to him, but he doesn't really do anything to push his own side of the narrative forward. And there's a lot of times where he's sitting there going, okay, we're just sort of waiting here. And as an author, Alistair Reynolds, in an attempt to sort of build his world, I feel over-describes a lot of, the con- a lot of his concepts so that you feel that you're not just getting uh, an organic sense of wonder, but getting a complete history lesson mm. that is sort of detracting. For instance, he talks at... Curie, at one point, finds out about um, an event in galactic history called the Dawn War. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting intellectually, but it goes for about two pages, um, certainly in the ed- edition that I had. And I kind of felt that this is a story in and of itself. And all you're doing is that you just get you Instead of... Trying to communicate the broad sweeps to get us through to the next point of the narrative. You're actually communicating the entire history of that war, and the entire plot is stopping dead so that you can give us this explanation.
2: Literally, stopped dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: and that's, this is why I stopped reading at page 340. Yeah. Because every, I, I was, I made this, I tried to make this commitment where I try and get to 50 to 100 pages a day in order to be able to talk about the book for the podcast. But Every time I picked it up, I'd try to read it and I'd get frustrated that instead of being involved and immersed in this narrative, I was being drawn out by detail that I didn't need hmm. um, and o- an and over-description of detail, an over-description of the world. And instead of gar- instead of being entranced by the wonders that he was... that He's trying to communicate. I'm not saying that he's not trying to do that, um, but being drawn out because there's too much of it. And it, the story... Doesn't really start until about page 300 when Volyova and Kuri, who are by this, have by that point actually joined forces. Kuri has infiltrated the crew that Volyova um, is working for, and they attempt to go and get Sylvester, who's imprisoned on the planet Resurgent, by force. And you said they're going, oh great, you know, 300 pages in the story has finally picked up. Hmm. Um, and then it kind of, then, then there's about another 40 pages of stopping and talking about how they're going to try and get Sylvester off the planet, how Sylvester is going to get contact with them. And said so they're going, what is it? What is this really about? Hmm. Um, is this really a search for the Amaritines? Is this really a search? Is this, is this about people trying to get Sylvester off planet so they can help them? What is this really meant to be? Um, and that was my chief frustration. That's why I stopped at page 340. How many pages is it? There's about
2: 600. yeah 600, right.
1: my edition had uh, my edition had 585. Uh, 585. Oh, yeah um I think I'm more than halfway at least I got more than halfway, which is what I tried to do um, and I read the wiki i read the wiki page the wiki the wiki entry at about page hundred right because I was frustrated and I wanted to see whether this was worth sticking with mm. um, and i kind of when I read the wiki entry i went without without the context of his writing the story i went wow, I wonder if you know there was a slight shift in uh, seismic ac- activities in Douglas Adams' grave um, when I read the book, because the, the act of the story sounds like the end of the third Hitchhiker's book.
2: Mm, I didn't pick that up. No. As in,
1: I, like I said, without the context of mm-hmm. the novel itself, I just went, okay, this sort of sounds a bit like, you know, with, we're going to war with the crickets. And Actually,
2: the end of it reminded me more of the end of 2001. Mm. Well, because yeah.
1: you finished the book, so yeah. what did...
2: Well, while well, I see what what Luke's saying at the start and and to a degree agree with him, from Luke's perspective, I can see how that would be really frustrating for him because it's really not the style of mm. writing he enjoys. Um, I couldn't find a copy of this book, so I had a look on iTunes, mm. and iTunes allows you to download the first 49 pages okay. as a sample. Which so I also read. I I've, I've, I've found a, a new test. If I passes the... F- iTunes test and I'll keep reading so actually I quite enjoyed the first 49 pages I like
0: it, the iTunes test yeah. so, you, so for now when you're going to download the the first 49 pages and if it's yeah. good you're going to download the full book
2: yeah, or I should say iBooks I guess iBooks, but yeah, yeah. anyway I, I quite enjoyed the first 49 pages and I, because it's a long book so I sort of settled in for the long haul mm. and I quite enjoyed how it sort of jumped between the characters mm. at the same time um, you're gradually learning about the universe that they're in but I think once it gets to the point where you've um, learnt as much as you can mm. about the universe, and for me that was about 200, 300 pages before the end, maybe starts about halfway through, I don't know, um, but definitely about 200, 150 pages before the end, it really kind of loses the plot. I, I did read some reviews online and mm. a lot of people complain that the characters, they are all have the same voice, and uh, there's not really a lot of character building. Oh, I
1: disagree with that. I didn't actually think that Kuri sounded like Volyova, and Volyova didn't sound like Sylvestre. No, they I had dis- distinctive voices. Yeah,
2: that's what I was going to say as well. I don't think they all had the same voice, but I can I can kind of see what they mean because, mm. I mean, you could, the characters were interchangeable with what they were doing. Mm. Uh, like the like Luke said about the the war that was um, explained about. There's a lot of sort of information dumps in weird places, mm. and suddenly the characters will know a whole like they'll suddenly figure out a whole important piece and then impart that to another character that they probably shouldn't have known, mm. or they've discovered it from some like there's a, a part where Volova discovers uh, a fragment in Kuri mm. And it's a sort of an unexplainable fragment, a bit like Scully's nose implant thing. Mm. And she gets the the spaceship to analyse it, and you do, and then it comes back with some readings. And from this, she um, determines the identity of the Mademoiselle. Mm. And I'm thinking that really doesn't actually point to that. And why would the Mademoiselle implant that particular thing in her? Mm. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't really make sense. So I kept expecting that to fall. That, that, to come back on her, but it mm, doesn't.
1: and does mm. um, I think you've just... Rem- Sorry, Crystal, you've just reminded me of another point, and I'm going to call spoiler on this one, but I kind of feel it must be said, um, is that um, Curry and, I think, they actually discover that Sylvester is a clone. Yes. And I kind of thought, well, okay, that's an interesting point, part of Sylvester's character, but I went, why is it... And Sylvester doesn't know this. Um... Why aren't we seeing Sylvester discover this? Why am I having to learn this from third parties when it's yeah. something? I've got nothing wrong with the third party learning it, as long as he no, no. then finds out. But that's the, that's the I thought. What, no, as in, let me rephrase it. Why why am I learning this from third part, of third parties when it, it sort of feels like I should actually be discovering that when Sylvester discovers it? Yeah, no,
2: I that, didn't. I didn't mind that. Why? Um,
1: because it, it
0: doesn't. What does it matter where the discovery
1: is from, as long, as, as long as it's relevant to the character. But it wasn't at that point. I was sitting there going, okay, so you're telling me this. Um, why are you telling me this? Does the clone thing come up again? Does Silvestre... Does sort of
0: you learn that Luke's, Luke has a sister from two completely
1: separate characters. Luke doesn't know, but it's still, no, it's still no, relevant. No, no, you, he, he then knows. Okay, to go with that argument, um, all you learn in Empire... There's no mention of a sister in... in, in there is home. another. There is another. Yeah. Um, which is, which is a, a vague, mysterious thing. Right, and then Obi One tells Luke he has a twin sister. That's right. So, so there's someone not, then later. So if you find out that Sylvester's a clone from someone else, and then someone else then later tells him, but that's but that's yeah. that's what I'm saying. Right. Someone actually learns something very specific, right? And imp- about Sylvester, and we as an audience learn it when they learn it. Yes, but
2: I think I think the problem is it's not so much that we learn it from. Those two characters is it where it's revealed as kind of an odd spot in the story. Like, okay. a lot of the information dumps are in kind of odd Error. spots in the story. Yeah. Um. I and mean, to answer your question, yes, he does find out later on, pro- but it doesn't really have a big payoff. Okay. Sorry, I didn't. Cause the, directly, I just because that's that was, what I'm
0: finding a lot of. It seems to be a lot of cool information, but then there's no yeah. real yeah, and payoff. That,
2: and that, that's
1: like I said. You know, I, I would prefer to have learned that as mm. a reader from yeah. Sylvester's. Is, it, see, is, is there a massive jump? As a person who hasn't read, I'm mean, actually I read the first, I read the first,
0: the free forty nine page forty eight pages because mm-hmm. this is only ninety pages long, so I was yeah. like, I've got time. Um, but uh, is there a massive jump in tone? Because I quite enjoyed the well, first well, forty eight pages. I was like, this so is actually to, quite interesting.
2: To, can, what I was going to say next so. is um, this last 150, 200 odd pages. I was talking about as I was getting towards the end, it sort of felt to me like Someone else had taken over the writing.
0: Right. Mm.
2: It it really gotcha. It, it was kind of disjointed. The characters, even though they they, they weren't usually built up to start mm. with, their characters completely changed. Mm. Um, Kuri and Ailea become best buds, mm. and and for some reason the, the loyalty thing starts going both ways without any real reason for it. Mm.
1: Um, and I actually wonder if you know if it's his first because it's his first novel whether he had people reading it and they were commenting on it as it happened or as he he made changes to that initial draft without really going back. I I, 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 I wonder if that might have been going on. I
2: don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it kind of feels like he kind of lost his way a bit. Mm. I don't don't know. If it continued in the same vein as the first part of the Mm. book, it would have been a much better book. But um, the story just kind of... It's like he had points he had to get to And he wasn't quite sure how to get Get there, there, and and sort of filled in the blanks. Gotcha. Um, It kind of ended in a satisfactory manner for me, but the the last hundred odd pages, um, you kind of knew where it was going, not exactly knowing exactly where it was going to end up, but had a fair idea. But there was the last hundred pages was. If you thought the first part of the book was drawn out, the last 100 pages, very, mm. very drawn out. There's lots of scenes where it's um, everything is very over described and in great detail. Mm. And, and it just seemed to take a long time for any one particular thing to happen. Like <laughs> um, there's a part, without giving it away, there's a part where they've made a, a weapon out of a ship and this ship has to crash into a planet to weed thing. Mm. And this takes hours. What do you mean, it's almost, hours to read it, or hours no, no, no. It takes hours for this to happen. Like the mm. it, it's 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 it, the, it's orbit is decaying and it's going into the planetoid and it's going to turn into a weapon and okay. and but hours and it feels like you're reading that in real time. <laughs> <laughs> it really takes a long time for that to happen, and other things happen in between. Whereas in another story, that would just that mm. ship would just crash in and explode immediately. And that's,
1: and, and that's kind of my frustration because the, the problem with that, you, when you're talking about that. I sit there going, "It's the end of the novel. You don't want it to be slow-paced at the end. Mm. You want you want your audience to be right in the thick of the action and really yeah. feel what the characters are going through yeah. and what they have to do, and feel the sense of the urgency in order to mm. um, in order to do what they have to do." Yeah. Um, and that was my frustration. you know, I actually didn't mind the immediate opening of the book where you know he's um, mm. digging up stuff. Because yeah. you know, in that, in those first ten pages, you know, he's digging up stuff. He has problems with the problems with the people he's working with. He's setting up the fact that he's a bit of a uh, a bit <laughs> of a scumbag, and you know, he then gets arrested. I thought, oh no, this is kind of interesting. Yeah, I it. and then from then I just went, well, hang on, what's going on? The other from thing
2: um, that we haven't mentioned is the captain of for um, well, the over ship Brannigan, Captain Brannigan. I kept calling him Zap in my head. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we well, kind of
1: get the feel that he might actually be a bit
2: like. <laughs> Um, so, so the, there's a, another uh, aspect of, of the world that they live in is there's a, a, a like a, a plague but it's it's a, an electronic sort of plague there's a lot of there's a lot of cyber sort of punk elements to it where people have implants and and that sort of deal and there's uh, the particular um, colony that Corey finds herself on has been overrun by the plague so the buildings have all sort of grown weirdly and um, cool uh, uh, it, 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 it sounds pretty cool um, and so that they've had to sort of stop using technology and stuff and um so there's this captain who's actually hundreds and hundreds of years old Mm. um who's been enhanced in ways with technology has caught the plague (gasps) and he's in reefer sleep and they're trying to keep him cold so the plague doesn't progress but he's actually growing into parts of the ship Mm. awesome and this this part of the story keeps getting built upon and voyova occasionally will go down and warm him just enough to be able to have a conversation with him Mm -hmm. and then she'll go away and leave him and it seems to be her mission is to Sylvester's supposed to cure him this goes on right throughout the book and kind of expect you know what the payoff of the captain's going to be and it kind of doesn't work the way you think Mm -hmm. but there is a bit of a payoff and but it's not as huge as what you'd expect. Mm. And it sort of gets left hanging, and I expect that there's more about the captain in the next books. Mm. But because it, that, that travelled right throughout the book, and it was their main drive for actually getting Sylvester, I would, would have expected more of a payoff with the captain, more of a big scene mm. there. Mm.
1: Uh, that, that, that sounds like... Because the other book, I've read, is Terminal, CD, Terminal World, where there's all this build-up build up and... Suddenly, there is actually no payoff. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that's my my frustration. There's yeah. a lot of build up and description, but yeah. not very much outside of that. I mean, fabulous ideas. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's not, but just the way that he tells it, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, that happens often in life. There's a lot of build up with things, and then nothing really happens. But in a story, you really want that payoff <laughs> at the end. Mm. And when you don't kind of get it, it's kind of disappointing. Um, and it kind of left me hanging, wanting to know a bit more about the captain and thinking maybe I'll read the next book. But then I after sort of digesting a bit, oh, I don't really know that I'll want to read the next book. Mm. But apparently, going by the reviews, or a few reviews I've read, the other books get better. Yeah, I've read they, get, well. they, they get a get lot get better. better.
0: Um, mm. Well, he's well-loved, so I guess there's, there must be a reason.
2: I mean, and it started off really good, and and, mm. and it really reminded yeah, me... It is first book. It reminded me of Christine Catherine Rush's diving series, where mm. she has a... Her main character, Boss, is, is a... Archaeologist, and she runs a company. They Mm. they dive old spaceships, but her character is a lot more involving, and Mm. uh, the books are a bit more concise. Um, They were are written after this. I'm wondering if she's sort of been inspired by that. I don't know, but possibly much much better books. (laughs)
1: Um, Ratings.
2: Um, If the book had continued on the last last part of the book, the same as the first part of the book, I might have given it a a three and a half, even a four. Mm. I'd give it a two and a half.
1: Um, I'm, I'm much harsher than you. I think at least 300 pages needed to be cut yeah. um, from this book. Um, and, you know, most of that is the 300 pages that I read. Um, I give I give this one, you know, for cool ideas, but uh, for an execution that left a lot to be desired.
2: Yeah, I don't often say this, but um, I think uh, you could have easily cut 150 pages out of yeah. that last 200 pages and, and sped up the ending a bit. Or... It could you could probably rewrite it to be a bit more exciting on it. Um, yeah, the other the other complaint in a lot of the reviews I read was um the hard science. I know I don't mind hard science fiction, as long as you don't go into if you go if you start going into great detail about it, the only people who are going to be interested are the scientists. The scientists got to actually inform the story. Yeah. 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 yeah.
3: yeah. Cool. Um, and just a quick point uh, to end this off. Uh, you were saying much loved. Yeah. Uh, just to let you know, Revelation Space is actually number sixty nine. Oh, on the sci-fi list. So it has actually made... What it number am I thinking of? <laughs> 69, dude. <69. laughs> <So.
0: laughs> cool. 37. Thanks for thanks for picking that up, for uh, looking that up right there. Oh, All right, nice. so, uh yeah, good. You gonna, uh, are you going to read any see, read? you are read more? Are you going to read any more?
2: Maybe, but there's a few not, for a, not for a while. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, cool. I'm, I'm just... Uh, I think I should get points for actually finishing it in two weeks.
0: <laughs> I hereby I, I, I officially give you <laughs> 10 NCP points. I, was, I tried to
1: finish it in two weeks and I went, every time I picked mm-hmm. it up, I just got frustrated. I understand. Joe, what know. are the next books?
3: The next book will be Childhood's End yep. by Arthur C. Clarke. Yay! Well, if it's good, yay. I haven't read it yet. I've read it. Ah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, there you go. So don't know not you watch the next episode because we know exactly Why what it is. I just said the yay. <laughs>
0: um, there still, there's still be other interesting points to be made. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I want to do that one. And the next crew pick is Crystal
2: with Mike Resnick stalking the unicorn.
0: Stalking the unicorn That's a bit harsh. That is incredibly harsh. What did
3: the unicorn ever do to you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm intrigued. Uh, so that means, uh, since I've already staked my claim to Charles West end, it means it'd be Crystal. And look.
3: Yes. Stalking the Unicorn, have you read it before?
0: No. No, oh, there you go, this Luke will be an experience.
3: Stalking, Luke's going to stalk unicorns for a living.
0: Cool, All Right. let's uh, finish up with our last segment, our top five alternates, alternate versions of characters. Very exciting. Reverse alphabetical order. So, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> so All just do, right actually what we'll do is we'll do, we'll do our fives, then we'll do our fours, then we'll do our threes. How's that, eh? We'll mix it up a bit. No, that's
3: not
2: going
3: to work.
0: That's
2: not going to work? I've only got two so far. Oh, for crying out
3: loud. <laughs> I was going to work it out right. so sure you guys were going. Where are you go All right. Okay. Uh, yep, my top five. At number five, um, I'm a big fan of um, DC's Elseworlds books that they used to do. God, they were awesome. They, were, Most of them were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some, some of them were ludicrous, but... Um, But I mean, most of them were, uh, a large chunk of them were Batman books. And I've always had a soft spot for the Batman from uh, Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah. By Brian Augustine and Mike Mignola. Good choice. Um, Because, you know, Batman versus uh, Jack the Ripper just awesome. Mm. Much like H.G. Wells versus Jack the Ripper that we were talking about earlier. Mm. Batman versus Jack the Ripper, fantastic. Um, there was a sequel to Gotham by Gaslight, which was also very good, but it's that first book especially that uh, always sticks out for me.
1: Didn't it? Cool. Yeah. Um, Master
3: of the World. Master of the World, yep. Awesome. Is, it, uh,
1: is it Batman versus Moriarty? No, it's Batman versus Rover from the Jules Verne books. Yeah. Oh, that's even better.
3: It is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my number four... I wasn't quite sure whether this would count or not, but my number four goes to Marvel Squadron Supreme. Oh who are basically the Justice League. But um the great thing about the Squadron Supreme is because they're the Justice League on an alternate reality earth in the Marvel universe, you can get away with doing a lot more with them. <laughs> yeah. And this the stuff the things that the Squadron have been through is just absolutely <laughs> harrowing. Cool. Um so Squadron Supreme, love them. Always been a big fan of Hyperion, um, especially um, yeah, just just cool characters. Sometimes actually better than the Justice League, it needs to be said too. And uh, sure. and uh, Mark Grunewald's miniseries, uh, in which the Squadron basically take over their version of America, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. My number three pick goes to I'm going to call I'm going to call her Evil Millicent Barnes. Right. right. To explain, there's an episode of The Twilight Zone from the first season called Mirror Image, starring Vera Miles. Yeah. And um it's set at a bus depot. Right. And she becomes convinced that she's being like stalked or, you know, that somebody is there following her and everything. And as as the story progresses and the tension builds, she basically comes to realize that it's an evil alternate reality version of herself that is trying to take over her life in this reality. Wow. Um, and there's a guy there, Paul Paul, Paul Grinstead is the uh, is the character's name. Paul's there, and she's trying to convince Paul that that, that this is what's going on, mm. that she's being replaced. And, and in that great way that Twilight Zone just builds tension. Mm. Like, it starts off with little things. You know, her bag's not necessarily her bag, and it seems weird that it's moved and things like that. And it just builds up. And eventually, Paul um, basically is convinced that she's nuts. <laughs> and um, so basically, the
0: Twilight Zone version of the double.
3: Yeah, yeah, basically this, cool. yeah, this evil version trying to replace her. And um, anyway, so she tries to explain this all to him. He's like, nah it's a bit, it's a bit too meta- metaphysical for me." And he thinks, "Yeah, she's nuts." Yeah. And yeah, he goes off and he's like, "Oh no, I've, I've called a friend to come and to come and get us rather than us catching the bus because clearly the bus is freaking you out." But in fact, he's called the police to take her away. Good, All right. Crazy and then people. in in true Twilight Zone style, once she's taken away and everything, and uh, he sees somebody running away with a bag that he thinks is his bag, he goes after it. It's his evil doppelganger, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, cool. it is an awesome, awesome episode. And always loved it. And you know, in awesome Twilight Zone style, just like I said, that brilliant build up and that questioning whether what's going on is real or not. And then the big twist revelation at the end—that yep, Vera Miles uh, Millicent was actually right all along. Awesome stuff. So that was my number three. Uh, my number two, just because it's comedy gold. One of the funniest things I've ever seen on a on a television show is Dwayne Dibley.
2: <laughs> Dwayne, D- Dwayne Dibley, my name's Dwayne Dibley,
1: <laughs> the teeth that George could use as a place of worship. <laughs>
3: And you know the plastic sandals. I just I love Dwayne Dibley, Um, and that is probably my favourite episode of uh, Red Dwarf Mm -hmm. as well. And I'm not quite the Red Dwarf fan that you know other members of in in this group are, but that episode just gold. (laughs) Um,
2: My (laughs) New York, the convenience store is uh, Dwayne Reed. (laughs) David and I kept saying we're going to go to Dwayne Dibley. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, now, my number
3: one alternate, also from comics, isn't actually a character. It's an entire world, and that is Earth Two, uh, as in nice. as in not Earth Two as it is now. I'm not talking yeah, about yeah. the post New Fifty Two Earth Two. I'm talking You're about rubbish, original. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking about original Golden Age awesome characters. Yeah. Um, Earth Two All Star Squadron Justice Society. That that Earth Two. Um, I have loved the earth two characters ever since I read a black and white reprint as a kid of um, justice league 100 where the justice league and the justice society travel through time to uh, find the missing members of the seven soldiers of victory. Um, I love that story. Like I read it as a kid over and over again. And from there I progressed onto all star squadron. And honestly, earth two has always been my, my favorite part of the DC universe and uh yeah, it's unfortunate that it uh, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, so the, the Earth 2 characters, just love them.
0: Awesome. I noticed we said reverse a little bit. I want to go next. Because <laughs> I'm in charge, so <laughs> okay. it. I'm going next. Um, my uh, number five is, uh, following on from Richo, is actually Squadron Sinister. Ah, awesome. Because so, I covered all the bases. They're alternate <laughs> versions of the Justice League, but they're evil versions of the alternate versions of the Justice League. Yep. I went full meta on that one. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. And they're awesome. So they like. are awesome. Uh, for number four, I said Evil Mary Marvel, because I, I love the, uh, the the wholesome, super nice Mary Marvel who then suddenly starts just wearing black, and so therefore she's evil. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's so horrified at her actions at what she does when, she, uh, when she's being evil and stuff, but strangely enjoys it. Uh, actually, actually quite like it as a character move. Uh, for number three, I've got Vampire Willow. Yep. so uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer alternate universe version where the master beat Buffy um, and then turns everybody else into vampires and uh, Vampire Willow is awesome and uh, her appearance she actually shows up again later uh, in a later episode which causes um, Willow to exclaim and I think I'm kind of gay which is uh, magnificent <laughs> Bree's character, awesome <laughs> uh, number two, I've got Red Sun Superman because Tommy commie Superman brilliant idea and he looks awesome, and it's a great story. So that's cool. And for my number one is Mirror Spock, Mirror Universe Spock. Uh, Star Trek introduces the Mirror Universe, uh, where the Federation are not the uh, supposedly nice people that they're meant to be in the main Star Trek universe. Uh, they are actually uh, some horrible, horrible people. And Mirror Spock, I, I just—it's just the first time ever we saw it Mirror Spock. Is it was just a bit of a shock because Spock, Mister Spock, is you know is the epitome of, of the awesome character. And then you got Mirror Spock, who is—it just—it just shows that even the mirror versions of Spock, with the goatee and the originator of the evil goatee, yep. even aren't totally evil either. Mm. So it's there. He's—he's still a—he's still a bastard, yep. <laughs> but he's a bastard with more noble goals. Mm. And uh, yeah, quite liked it. Um, just uh, some very quick uh, runners up that just didn't quite make the list: uh, the Four from Planetary, which are essentially evil versions of the Fantastic Four. Uh, Spider-Man from Earth 8351, which is a Spider-Man that spins off from the Spider-Man and Wolverine one-shot, where, uh, Spidey inexplicably gets involved in spy business and makes a fool of himself and Wolverine kicks him out (laughs) to get him out of of here. Uh, well, in the, in the what-if version of it, he, um... Uh, he stays and then decides to abandon his life, uh, previous life, and becomes basically an assassin. It's like a spider assassin sort of stuff. Uh, he recently made a reappearance in the, the Spider-Verse business, and, uh, just because he just looks cool. Uh, Maestro, who's an evil future version of the Hulk... Uh, yeah, enough said.
3: He's
0: awesome. And, uh, and just, i uh, just throw I'll throw this one in for last. Uh, Dark Claw uh, during the amalgam, the <laughs> amalgam <Claw>. series, <laughs> during the amalgam series uh, uh, where DC and Marvel sort of t- uh, combined universes, he had two characters sort of stuck together, and uh, Dark Claw was Wolverine and Batman, which is just an awesome combination. Essentially, it was Batman with cl- with Wolverine's claws course, yeah. and healing yep. ability. So yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and he was terrible. He was a terrible character. All the amalgam stuff was rubbish. But I just, he looks awesome. <laughs> just the <laughs> idea of having a, a Batman with claws and healing ability is magnificent.
3: I always liked Iron Lantern
0: myself. Yeah, the Iron I, Lantern Iron looked Lantern awesome. cool. It looked awesome, yeah. But I the rest actually, but it the helped, rest, it was terrible. The, it Spider-Man, the Spider-Man Robin thing or whatever oh. it was. Oh, my God, it was terrible.
1: Wasn't that Superboy and Spider-Man? Yeah,
0: Superboy and Spider-Man, yeah. Awesome.
3: What about the Superman Captain America? Right, terrible. <laughs> Big God.
1: Anyway, that's my top five. <laughs> Look. Um, okay, so my number five is the alternate Eric Cartman from season two of South Park, in which um, the Cartman from another universe shows up full goatee. At, you know, he's, it should be pointed out that he's still eight years old, yeah. but he's got the, uh, the mirror spot goatee. However, unlike our Eric Cartman, who is a complete bastard, yeah. this Eric Cartman is actually quite nice and helps people, <laughs> to the point where the boys actually want to keep him around. So Cartman's got to yeah, finagle a few things to ensure that he is the Cartman who stays... Um, and um, Evil Eric Cartman is the one who goes. And they call him Evil Eric Cartman because he's got the goatee. <laughs> yeah, uh, But I always loved that. It's one of the Halloween episodes, and I've always loved, loved that one. Um, my number four pick is from Welcome to Night Vale, which I've recently discovered. It is Intern Dana Cardinal. Now, the, the, the thing about that is... Soon to be reviewed on the show. Soon to be reviewed on the show. Um, intern Dana Cardinal, they all discover that they've all got doppelgangers. Right. And so they all have encounters with them. Intern Dana Cardinal kills her doppelganger. And she's the intern of um the of the uh, of the um the radio station at In Nightvale the community radio station in Nightvale. And she's sort of seen as a bit of a hero because no one survives their internship.
0: Right. Are you gonna spoil the book for me? No. Okay, the
1: good. book is not about this at all. Oh okay. Cool, right. This is it's from it's the, the podcast. This is from the podcast. Oh okay, cool, cool. Um Dana Cardinal appears in the book. Yeah. Um but yeah, the, you don't get any of this in the book at all. Awesome. Um However, the problem that Dana Cardinal has is that she doesn't know if she is the real Dana Cardinal or the doppelganger Dana Cardinal. Right. And, so she, get, and she gets stuck in a parallel, parallel dimension. And that's like the idea of her... You know, she's quite an innocent, sweet person who just might have killed herself. Yeah. Or, you know, her not-self or her real self. Or is she her real self? You get where I'm going with this. yeah. Um, and I, just like, I do like the concept um, behind that. Yeah. Um, and yeah the, so Dana Cardinal is my number four pick my number three pick is the Red Rain Batman Um from Ooh. yep for, uh, done as depicted by Doug Moach and Kelly Jones you know Batman, fa- fa- Batman fighting Dracula and then becoming a vampire in his own right you know kind of makes sense to me hmm. Um my number four pick is like um Richo it is the Earth 2 and the original Earth 2 the All-Star Squadron um, depiction of the characters Um, just you know the nice sort of brightly coloured uh, sense of hope and optimism yeah. that the Earth 2 books have always um, espoused, has always been they quite have... nice, and the sense of imagination as well. Yeah, that have um, now been shit upon. Well, I'm not going to use that <laughs> language, but yes. Um, <laughs> okay. and he lower he <laughs> won't
0: lower himself. He won't lower to that, that disgusting <laughs>
1: And I'm not going to mention just one character in my number one. I'm going to mention, basic, basically, it's the Red Dwarf section. Yeah. Because the sheer number of times that the boy, that the boys and the dwarf have encountered parallel dimensions versions of themselves where they're all female yeah. have thought that they were playing computer thought, thought that they were all players in a giant computer game. Yeah. fought against met and fought against both the evil versions and the good versions of themselves. <laughs> also encountering potential future versions of themselves that they utterly despise and get into a shooting war with, yeah. eventually causing all sorts of causality problems. Um you know, Dwayne Dibley is just the epitome of that. But the number of times that they've actually encountered different versions of themselves mm. and made choices based on that, um, and Ace Rimmer being the other one, and Holly,
2: and like Holly, you get Hilly, but then Holly becomes, becomes a hilly. girl without. No one even commenting on it. Yep. It's, just uh, well, it's
0: mentioned in the opening credits. <laughs> um, yeah, but you've got to
1: pause that to go, yeah. well, that's what you're because it goes past so fast. You know, like, yeah, like, so, and, you know, Ace <laughs> from being another yeah. one along with Dwayne Dibley, just yeah. a fantastic character. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, my number one is Red Dwarf. Cool. cool. Let's finish up with uh, Crystals.
2: Number five on my list is uh, the alternate Superman, but the Christopher Reeve version of Evil Superman.
0: The Christopher Reeve version of Evil Superman. I like yeah, it. That is that's awesome. A, that's a cool choice. I,
1: was, I actually had that as going. Oh, do I put that down? Because that's actually the best bit in that film. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: only, I only um, put it in like at the last second because I thought someone else would pick it. So, <laughs> 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 yeah, so Christopher Reeve's uh, Evil Superman because, well, he's a Christopher Reeve. <laughs> oh, he knocks over the ta- leader
0: tower of Peter. He straightens the leader tower of Pizza. That's, that's, cool. <laughs> that's harsh. That's <laughs> harsh. Um, number four.
2: number four. I, I've kind of cheated. I've got two for number four, but they're kind of for the same reason. Um, I love that back in the sixties uh, that um, the shows like Bewitched and and Genie, the um, evil version of themselves was like a cousin or a sister with just mm. with darker hair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so true. So um, you've got uh, Samantha's cousin Sabrina with darker hair, and and I think genie's is her sister. Yeah, she's yeah. got dark hair. Yeah. Yeah. And and they play tricks on the husbands or, in Jeannie's case, uh, Major Nelson, pretending yeah. that they're actually the other person. Yeah. Number three on my list was, because um, Richard reminded me of his awesomeness, was Dwayne Dibley. But um, I'd have to go along with Luke and say all oh, the rest of the Red Dwarf. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two on my list is the uh, alternate version of Captain Kirk but not the um, Mirror Universe Captain Kirk okay I'm doing the transporter accident <laughs> oh, oh, the classic I wanna live <laughs> just uh, Shatner's <laughs> acting on, on that episode with the evil Kirk <laughs> the rage on his face it's just <laughs> it is awesome it is an awesome episode <laughs> I love that and number one on my list has to be uh, Mirror Universe Spock because how cool was Spock with a goatee yeah
3: the ultimate yeah Yes. I, do, I do. like the point that Dave made earlier, though, that he's 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 evil Spock, but he's not really evil per se. Yeah. he's different. <laughs> he's different, and not not as nice. But <laughs> he's I, just Spock, he's yeah. still there. We didn't did say mirror, still, mirror Spock. Yeah, there's still, Spock. there's still that Spockness about him. <laughs> yeah. That's just one of the awesome things about Star Trek. I Just, I just, just love
2: in the mirror universe. Though. I mean, in the, in the normal universe, Ahura's skirt is so short you can see her pants. But in the Mirror Universe, she loses even more clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so to be fair, so does Kirk. Yes. the Mirror, the mirror Kirk yeah,
0: is essentially a sex slave. But, yeah, but I let's mean... Let's be honest. Like, yeah, but,
3: but Kirk's one for taking the shirt off whenever he can, anyway. <laughs> you know,
2: like, yeah. Any chance. Oh, what did seriously? my shirt rip? Yeah. Seriously,
3: James T. Kirk was Matthew McConaughey years before Matthew McConaughey did it.
0: <laughs> well, that's it for episode... Oh, no, sorry. Let's uh, quickly finish off with Coming Soon. Uh, in cinemas February 18th, we get 45 Years, uh, just a romance, romance drama movie. Yeah. Uh, concussion, which is uh, the movie that uh, Will Smith's cracking a sook about. Um, really? Why? Yeah, he plays a doctor who, who just figures out that, you know, NRL players are getting, uh, you know, get concussion. And yeah. Concussion causes long damage and stuff. And yeah. because yeah. he didn't get nominated for a Best Acting Award, he's now boycotting the Oscars, you know. Oscars all too white and stuff. Oh, right. He's boycotting, okay. Jada's boycotting Spike Lee... It's but all, have they
3: stated they're boycotting because he wasn't nominated specifically? No, that's, that's me.
0: That's my comment. Right, it, okay, They're cool, boycotting cool, because, yeah. because there's no black nominations. But right. when your performance is as bad as it is in this movie... I, mean, I love Will Smith. I love him to death. But his performance in this is not good enough for an Oscar. And that's why he wasn't nominated. Not because he's black. Okay. Because he's just a bad performance. Anyway, moving on. Uh, How to be single. It is a comedy... Uh, with uh, Alison Bree and uh, Australia's own Rebel Wilson. There you go. Oh, yeah, I, I yep. know. You know what I'm talking about now? now? Yep. I quite like Rebel Wilson. Ride Along 2, the sequel to Ride Along that had to happen. Had to. This place is it's a comedy about two guys riding in, 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 a, in a cop car. Yeah, it's, yeah one guy goes yeah, for a ride along. I don't know. Who cares? Uh, Risen. Uh, Never heard of it. Someone's risen.
1: Yeah, someone's risen. Should have uh, stayed down.
0: And uh, Trombo, which I'm actually interested in seeing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Brian Kratzen playing Dalton Trombo
2: sounds. Yeah. yeah. Sounds
1: all right. So, oh, anyway, I will be yeah. seeing
0: that.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. But will
0: see it because Brian Kratz is in it. That's yeah. so true. Anyway. Cool. Uh, so that's it for episode uh, 182. Thank you very much for joining us. you I am, in fact, uh, Mirror David. <laughs>
2: Where's you goatee? I
0: don't have a goatee. He's got a full beard.
3: But you always have a full
2: beard. That's just because you didn't uh, shave. That's true.
0: Too Mirror <laughs> David's just the
3: lazy version of, of real David. <laughs> My God, but real David's the laziest man in Los Angeles County. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes him an Olympic level <laughs> laziness. The contender for the laziest man <laughs> in the world. Oh, <laughs> uh, this guy. Anyway, uh, thank you for me and the crew. Richard. Well, I've got stubble, so I'm saying that makes me the alternate reality cool version of myself.
1: There's no such thing as a cool version of you, Dave. Yeah, you know there is. Luke. <laughs> no. yeah, and, you know, and I've got a couple of things to say. It, you know, a parallel universe somewhere, if we look down the right rabbit hole, we will find a cool version of Richo. Um And, you know, I'm clearly the ultimate version because, you know, the real version had long hair several months ago. <laughs>
2: <And> that's true. <laughs> uh, Crystal. Oh, I've changed my mind. You can hit me guff back.
1: A man without his guff is no man at all. Well, you
2: can't be a mirror
3: version of yourself without guff. That's right. That's exactly right. Bye. Bye.
2: You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.